Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Got a lot to get to, not a lot of time to get it done in, so let's go ahead and get right into this week's proceedings. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of another presentation of the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts by searching Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button, get every episode of the Blitz when it drops, and please, if you'd be so kind, leave us a five-star review. It's how the folks in charge know we're doing a good job, so keep those five-star reviews coming. Uh, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Trying to squelch that yawn I just let out. So I, I didn't even notice. I got a screen in front well, of me, so I didn't see your face, and I didn't hear it. So it makes the show interesting. Like, Rod and I can see each other. You and Rod can see each other. But you and I, there's two monitors. Yeah, we like, can see our body language, but we really can't see our faces. Like we were planning on having a video edition of the podcast this week. It didn't work out. But, like, I know when Matt has something that he wants to say. This is why sometimes when I talk over Matt, I don't see. Yeah, Matt has to, like, hold his hand out so I can see when he's, like, like doing, that. like, a little pinching motion or something. Yeah, that's how I know when Matt has a I point got a little something. he wants to make. Dan Patrick show does that. <laughs> what I used to. Uh, a man who uh, he he can have the floor whenever he wants it because he's a renaissance man. He wears many hats for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge each and every weekday from 3 to 7. But for the purposes of this podcast and why we let him say pretty much whatever the hell he wants, he's our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it. I do my best, Rod. Uh, guys, I want to let's we'll, we'll put the draft on because we got draft opinions. And surprisingly, I'm actually proud of last week's episode because we covered a lot of the scenarios that wound up playing out on draft night and throughout mm-hmm. the weekend. Yep. I want to start with the transfer portal because uh, the portal is closed. It closed at the close of business Sunday. That said, if guys got their name to compliance before the close of business Sunday, as long as you get through when we're recording this on Tuesday, if you get through today and nobody else is in the portal, then unless you're a grad transfer, portal is closed. It is not happening right now. So, Rod, I said one of the things that I really wanted to see was there was a couple of positions where man, if the staff felt good about their depth, where they didn't have to go into the portal, then I'd feel really good about this team, assuming that 
from a self-evaluation standpoint. Yeah. Sark and company are doing their job. One of those was for sure off-ball linebacker. I'm like, if they don't feel the need to go into the portal to get an off-ball linebacker, then that tells you whether it's David Benda or, or Anthony Hill, Mo Blackwell, Leunga LaFowle, they like what they've got at linebacker. Uh, Edge, I think, is another one of those positions where, and let's be straight up right now, adding Trill Carter, Texas doesn't have any scholarships available right now, so they'd have to lose somebody to be able to go into the portal and get someone yeah. right now. But Edge, it just seems like they're going to continue to let the young guys battle it out. Tight end is still, from a depth standpoint, a number standpoint, the one position I'm concerned about. But, Rod, the fact that, and I hate to use this word, but let's be honest, in college football today we're using it, the fact that nobody got pushed out to make extra room to where they felt they had to go get a linebacker or had to go get a tight end or had to go get an edge guy, again, assuming the self-scouting is on point, that should tell you they feel pretty good about where they're at. Uh, yeah, first of all, you stacked a couple of recruiting classes uh, that you know they're your guys. So I talked about you know team looks like his team. So you've stacked some recruiting classes, so you know at least you have talented guys there. They're unproven commodities, but you know you have talent there. And also, I think they have solutions mm-hmm. for some of these potential issues, right? If it's not you know a David Bender that steps up, which is great. That's also you know something else. There we talked about their talent development. We praised this staff for their talent development, something that's been lacking on the Fort Acres for a while. We saw that uh, with almost every position uh, across the team, across the roster last season. You know, maybe you could argue wide receiver that was the only position where you didn't see that type of uh, talent development across the board. But everywhere else, you definitely saw it. And mm-hmm. maybe that's a part of it, too. Why you see your, the David Bender stories uh, that are starting to, you know, but maybe with this with this staff, maybe they become more commonplace. We talked about those stories about the seniors who step up and end up playing big roles for teams. So maybe that's the case. But also, I think just um, situationally, because you have depth at other positions, uh, say the edge position, right? You just saw that a young Anthony Hill could potentially be what DeMarvion Overshone was last year situationally off the edge. So you think, thinking, you know what, I can piecemeal or moneyball that approach, whether it be with Ethan Burke and some other players and then him situationally, Anthony Hill off the edge in passing situations, we can figure out solutions. Or if off-ball linebacker, let's say David Bender doesn't work out, you thought he was going to work out, you know you got the young bucks that you can throw out there and see if, you know, just throw them out in the deep in and see if they can swim, but also schematically, you're deep at safety. We talked about this last week, right? Yeah. You're talking about how you know you may have three starting safeties potentially. There are dying packages. There are sub-packages that you could use potentially, throwing some of those big safeties in the box. Mo Blackwell, who's a hybrid. Mm-hmm. So I just think they believe there's no the urgency isn't there. They like that's a luxury potentially to go out there and have you know a more front-line ideal starter at those key positions. But you have solutions and you have depth, unproven depth, but you have depth and solutions. So really there's no need to freak out about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The portal is a luxury for Texas. And – which it should be for a yeah. Texas. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good sign. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Rod, and and I, I'm this is why I'm glad I do a show with you because I made this point on Light the Tower. Um, if you look at where Sark is going into year three, just from a roster building standpoint, uh, and I'm just looking at the coaches that followed him. I, obviously, I you know couldn't tell you about David McWilliams' third year because I just wasn't of football conscious at that point, but. You know, John Makovic's third year, like what the how the roster changed from 92 when he got here to 94 going into year three. Same thing with Mac. How that roster looked in 98, it, it, it looked like a completely different animal in 2000. 
Uh, even even Charlie, like the, what, how the roster looked in 2014, and then you look at it in 16, his last year, we started to see, okay, guys are looking a little different. Now we ultimately know what happened. And I can say the same thing for Tom Herman. I mean, look, we can, we can uh, you know, talk about alternative facts after the fact now but and kind of manipulate history, but I think we were all excited about where this thing was headed in 2019 with Tom Herman going into year three. Mm-hmm. And you could see how different the roster looked. I think you can definitely say the same thing about Sark. My thing is the proof is going to be in the pudding. You know, if Texas goes 10 and 2 or is playing for a Big 12 championship in December, then you can definitely say this thing is on an upward trajectory. But Rod, if we're sitting here at the end of the regular season looking at 7 and 5 or or maybe even 8 and 4 and going back to the Alamo Bowl again, then you're right back where you were the previous two cycles. Yeah, and I don't right now the I think the optimism is really high cuz Longhorn fans saw it last season, right? You yeah. saw this team go from 5 and 7, um and that's a, that should be the, you know, that's for Texas, that's the bottom. I mean, yeah. you don't get more to, to for a program like Texas, they should never ever be 5 and 7 and I don't give a damn what the talent level is. They shouldn't be 5 and 7 ever and they shouldn't be a team that struggling to make a bowl game. Mm-hmm. But they were there, but then from then, I mean, essentially you were a team that was in the Big 12 title discussion till late in the season. Yeah. And I thought that was a lot of progress with the roster, the talent development, a lot of progress with the culture, ton of that progress with the culture last season. And also, you saw the scheme, I thought the scheme evolved, right? Saw more of the two tailback sets, him trying to uh, build the offensive identity around the strengths of the team. Hopefully this season, and Sark is on the record for saying it, each year, I, I'm paraphrasing, reimagine or reinvent my offense depending on what the yeah. strength of it is and what my personnel is. Yes. So this year, I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what that's going to be. And so I, I think I've, saw, I've seen enough progress to Put my expectations at double-digit wins. Defensively, Not, too, yeah. though, because that's part of it. Yeah, defensively, we, we talked We talked about yeah. it in 2021, like it was so bad. Rod, you being a coverage guy, like you couldn't tell sometimes what coverages they were trying to run yeah. in 2021. Like it was that bad. Like I couldn't, and watching them like with the way their blitzes were just wonky and mistimed, like I just couldn't tell you at times what they were trying to get accomplished. Like and, it was that it was that discombobulated. Yeah, and I mean now you have guys getting drafted into the NFL off of that defense, yeah. and <laughs> next year I think we assume you're going to have some more guys. It was one of the more. I mean, we defense. don't talk about it enough. Oh, sorry, Rod, I didn't mean to no, cut no. you out there. We don't talk about it enough. That was really one of the more impressive defensive turnarounds in the country last yeah, year, for sure. Like when you told just how bad it was in 21, and immediately like we were watching during the Alabama game, and we're like, oh wow, this is a good defense. And I think I think the the where that really shows too the the production was good like you, I don't know if you could say it was great or elite but it was good it was much better but the fact that there's room to grow from a good year that shows you how bad it was like we talk about the mm-hmm. football IQ conversation right we talk about that like football IQ was improved it still got you know room to improve before you can say it's at an optimal level and, and damn near at an, at an elite level but that just shows you how bad it was yeah and y'all twenty one. Two, three, uh, year three for Sark. That's really just if you look at like who's the poster child of like if you want to build a program, make it look like you look at what Alabama and what Saban did by his third year. That was 09. They were already playing mm-hmm. in the championship game against Texas. If you go back to his LSU teams when he did it there, and it was that 2002 team that you really saw them hit the next level and win it all in 03. If you even look at a guy like Kirby Smart, whenever he left. 
Alabama to go to Georgia. It was that 18-year, and Texas fans remember the 18-year, but we've sort of looked back at that bowl game and realized what it was because that was an 11-1 Georgia team before they lost by a narrow touchdown to Alabama in the SEC championship game. But you had those programs by year three, all blue blood football teams with a guy that you think is going to be a really good coach. Well, they proved that that third year they were contending for a title. So if Texas can get to that arc, that would be the elite that you strive for. Rod, yeah. this goes back to your this goes back to your point. If you have a blue blood coach, it doesn't take you long to figure it out if you if you've got the right guy. If you're a, let me rephrase that. If you're a blue blood program, it shouldn't take you that long to figure out if you've got the right guy or not. Year three. Yeah. I mean, this is it. We'll figure out if Sark's the right guy. If Sark in this Big Twelve can't contend for a Big Twelve title, I'm not saying you gotta win it. Yeah. They're tough to win. Texas only won but three. Yeah, and football mm-hmm. one game. So, but if you regress, yeah. you know they, something bad happens. It's tough, to, exactly. So it's tough to win. So I'm not going to say go win it because hell, Mac Brown only won two of them. There, and he's a Hall of Fame coach. But you should be able to go compete for one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Tom that's Herman. Why, can, Tom Herman was able to compete for one. That's yeah. why I said. And so it's you, about that time for. Can you sorry. get to Arlington? Can yeah. you get there? And I think it's going to take you double digit wins to do it. I don't think you're going to be able to get there. I don't think the the Big Twelve will cannibalize each other to that extent. There's always. Each year, it may be unpredictable which team it is, Oklahoma most years. Uh, but now that Lincoln Riley's gone, and now that you know, Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley are no longer here, uh, it's a little bit more unpredictable and uncertain what team is going to rise and separate in the Big 12. There will be a team that separates in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't really. What was K State in the regular season last year, 9 and 3? Sounds mm. right. Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and they probably should have been a 10-win team just like they probably could have been the year before. But Chris Kleiman, every now and then Chris Kleiman just makes strange decisions. Like yeah, really starting, not starting Will Howard in that game versus Texas. Which and then is Adrian very Martinez. Yeah, the, two years in a row. Yeah, it's just, it, yeah exactly. Like, it's just, it, sometimes he's, I mean, he's arguably one of the Everything best coaches in the Big really 12. Everything else really good. But those was just really weird decisions because it was pretty obvious that Will Howard was a he was a more difficult matchup for a Texas defense than Adrian Martinez. He's made it easy on Texas, or easier, I should say. Easier. Yeah, I think when we did this, Rod, we crunched those numbers uh, a couple of years ago when we were, I think, probably going back to that first summer before Sark's first year uh, and talked about the one-possession losses that Tom Herman had. And we started looking at one-score losses like Chris Kleiman, other than the COVID year where they went 4-6, and six, like they're 8-5 and five in 19, 21, they're 8-5. and five. 10 and 4 last year, they could have been 10 or 11 wins oh, all yeah. three of those least, years. Exactly. I, they had multiple, like, three point, one point losses. You know, yeah. Some of those, Oklahoma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, no, I'm with you. It's, a, it's, it's very weird. But anyway, my, my point being, I do think it's time for Sark to compete for a Big 12 title. I think it's going to take, I just said, overall, during the season, I want double digit wins because I think whether you're talking about the Big 12 title game or you're talking about the bowl game, He's going to have to end up getting double-digit wins to yeah. meet expectations around here. If he doesn't, then we all know how that goes. The yeah. Longhorn fan base will they'll be become impatient really quickly. We know mm-hmm. that they don't have patience. They're a great fan base. We love you have. Fans, I think to your point, is not a, to not your point, the double-digit wins not only matters for getting to Arlington. I think it matters. You can't go back to the Alamo Bowl. You got to whether you win the Big Twelve, get there by winning the Big Twelve or an at-large. I think you've got to be in the New Year's Six. You got to be in that mix, and it would have it would have to be something. Just something really wonky go bad for you not to be in the new the new year six like you're you're an eleven and two team or a ten and three well, team. No, not really. I mean, it, it, honestly, it would just have to be the quarterback not progressing. We assume that Quinn Ewers is going to progress, and then Quinn Ewers is going to become a high level 
elite QB in college football because all the raw materials are there. Sark is a quarterback guru. He's got the track record. They got the weapons. It's just like, oh, well, you know I mean? There, there doesn't seem to be mm-hmm. anything that could, you know, really change the trajectory of that development right now. But it's cute. It's the quarterback position, right? It's the it's the most unpredictable position in all the sports. Hard to predict and hard to, as the great Bill, the late great Bill Wall said, it's the it's a very few men can develop and coach the quarterback position, and even fewer can evaluate it. And that's truer today than it was back when he said it in the eighties. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing about quarterback. We don't know. We all assume Quinn Ewers is going to take this huge leap of development, and I believe he's going to do that too. If he doesn't. That right there could be your reason for Texas not meeting expectations. Yeah, because I mean, last season you really can look at that Alabama injury and be something that, like, I think if that say doesn't happen, who knows how that season progresses in the development of a young quarterback? Because not only coming back from injury, but having the impact of having a offensive line that you maybe you're fearful that you, they're getting through quickly. We've seen how much worse he is under pressure, like every other quarterback. Is And that's why this year, when you look at the development, not only of, say, the skill guys or the quarterback that we're talking about, but all the way across the entire roster. And we've talked about development all the way across the entire roster. And we saw drastic improvements on the offensive line, and your best players were the young guys on the Mm -hmm. offensive line. So if you just see what this staff has done with the development from player 1 through 85, you can expect that, which should make the development and the ability to keep your guys healthy, all those factors should make this in put in a situation where you can expect to see growth and you don't have something where one or two plays can totally alter the way five or six games go. Yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not just Quinn. But it, yeah, yeah. Pick, take the running game, right? We haven't seen this running game with, with Sark and his offense without a Bijan exactly. and without a Rojo. Well, sorry, we did. We had a sneak peek of it in the, in the game versus Washington in the bowl game, and I don't think anybody liked mm. what they saw, right? Mm. So you could have a an offense that really doesn't have that run game identity, and that makes them one-dimensional, which makes a development of a Quinn Ewers yep. much tougher because you have a one dimensional offense and he's got to go out there and sling it around all the time and it's tougher for the offense to adapt and then coach Steven instead of coach Sark is out there in the second half and then mm-hmm. he doesn't understand oh man you got to get the quarterback in the rhythm he wants to chase the deep ball there are a lot of things that could go wrong for sure this really potent and lethal offense potentially to end up you know kind of going off the rails uh, I don't think all that's going to happen. One of those things may happen, but I don't. As you brought up, Matt, I don't think that one thing, one factor, that is going to overall, yeah, just totally infect the rest of the offense. I think Sark coaches are problem solvers. Should be able to solve those problems defensively. I just I see less issues defensively. I think if there are going to be some meltdowns, I don't know for some reason I kind of see them on the offensive side of the ball, even though that yeah. shouldn't necessarily be the case defensively. I do think they'll be pretty good structurally. I do think they have a lot of you know experience returning on the defensive side of the ball that'll help them out. Offensively, they have some of that returning too, but we've seen it go wrong offensively for this team. Yeah. Um, defensively, the first season was just a just an absolute absolute fuster cluck, but the second season, man, they were. Pretty consistent. Yep, yeah. the they platoon depth. They're able to get now. In. Gary Patterson is gone, so we'll <laughs> see if that consistency continues without GP. And then if you look <laughs> at so the that's depth. the biggest question on defense. What's up with G, without GP? Yeah. Can y'all still have the structural integrity of a defense and make those great calls and adjustments without GP? I love PK, but first season PK as opposed to second season PK with GP, very different. Yeah, and the way that you are able to use. 
just multitude of players a lot of different ways on defense gives you the ability to survive injuries there even if like say you lose a guy like Jalen Ford who last year would be instrumental but now you have some young guys you think might be able to step up like that's where the one thing like even with the O-line like if a guy like Banks were to go down I think that could be something that could be catastrophic there isn't something like that the way if you look at the defense there isn't a player necessarily that you don't think you can survive going down the way that you pointed out on offense there's a few key positions JT Sanders as Jeff brought up yes another you really exactly those are the three that seem like would be the biggest keys or the ones that you would maybe not be able to recover the most I still think in this league though that you're going to have one, maybe two games during the season where it's just a matchup thing, or maybe your your defense just has an off week. It's tough to expect your defense to travel with you for twelve games for a nine game conference season. With that said, uh, I think the and Matt, you mentioned something about this a few minutes ago, and I, it kind of stuck with me. Like you know. What can you do in those one possession games that can allow you to not take on, you know, three or four, you know, one score losses? Mm-hmm. I think, and Rod, this kind of blends into with what you're saying. I think when you get into those tight games and you're going to play some of them in this conference, mm-hmm. can the combination of Sark, Jeff Banks, and PK, can they give you a schematic advantage that allows you to not slip up in those tight ball games? To where they can give you a schematic advantage to where you can take in those tight games, if it's a field goal game in the fourth quarter, can you go win it rather than, you know, counting on the opponent to mess it up? It's a good point bringing up Banks because the special teams were pretty damn good last year. They were also, but especially has been the most consistent phase for Texas. Yeah. Without Since Sarge got here. Yeah, and for sure. Not, actually not the ability close. to block kicks, like that can flip uh, games and get yeah. momentum so fast. And they, I mean, I assume they're a top 15, 20, top 15, 20 unit. Uh, both years if you look at special teams rankings. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I, I think for Texas, like I always talk about the chess match within the game, and, you know, I, I, I love Sark. I think he's great. But he oftentimes loses the chess match within the game because <laughs> he has a great opening script, as we know. All right, this is the narrative about Sark. The great opening script, get his get his teams off to a really good lead. But that's only usually, you know, the first quarter or, I don't know, three-fourths of the first quarter. He's still got three other quarters. And for Sark, that's where I think he struggles is to win the chess match of the next three quarters because ultimately the opposing coach will adjust to whatever you're doing. All right, your opening script. And then you have to be ready to anticipate whatever their adjustment is going to be and have a counter and he's not really great at coming up with those counters and by the fourth quarter he's out his bag is is out yeah. he's got nothing in left in the back and we're like hey man it's it's four quarters you got to go win the game at that point and i think we've seen sark struggle at that point now, last year give him a lot of credit he was able to go win some games but it it, it wasn't so much of a counter as it was going back to common sense and going let's just hand the ball to Bijan and give it to yeah. Rojo yeah. all right it was going back to my 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 theme of the year right put some Bijan on it with a side of Rojo God bless him he figured it out that's what he did won some games that's what coaching is solving problems but he's not going to have that luxury next season yeah not going to have the luxury of just saying all right default offense 
Bijan and Rojo, he's going to have to come up with creative counters and be able to anticipate what the adjustments of his opponent is going to be. That's the chess match within the game. That's coaching, man. Yeah. It ain't just coming up with a great opening script. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great opening script is just the first part of it. Then you have to anticipate, well, how are they going to try to defend what I just exposed them with? All right? How are they going to try to defend what I just exploited within their defense? And then you have to come up with A, B, and C. That's part of you looking at the game from the outside in. I I think having a Gary Patterson would help having a guy on your staff who can help kind of, you know, troubleshoot your opening script and go, all right, well, this is how this is what I would do. Yeah. You would think the defensive coordinator on his staff can say, man, this is what I would do with the with that script. I do A, B, C, C, and D. Mm-hmm. And then you try to figure out, all right, you know what? Now I can anticipate A, B, C, and D. And then when the opponent does it, you go, oh, I was ready for that counter. I got this ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I don't see Sark doing that enough. And th- that's, that's the chess the match within right, the game. Yeah. And that's the stuff right there that whenever you talk about, you articulated it so well because, like, you can't play football just on paper. Because, like, say on paper, coming into the season, Bill Connolly, just when you look at the raw numbers of the players and across the country – Yes, Texas going into the year is the ninth best offense, 14th best defense, 16th best uh, special team. So you look across the board, actually, excuse me, it's a 14th best offense, mm-hmm. 16th best defense, ninth overall. So you look at a guy that's like you have a really good baseline to start with, but then all those adjustments, the week-to-week preparation, the ability to view your opponents and also self-scout and understand your weaknesses and how teams are going to think you're vulnerable and attack those things and we've always seen on paper texas really lay out well but over the past decade there have been many times when it's been way worse than expected and texas has been playing from behind in all those areas at times we've seen texas like you said the opening scripts under sark mm-hmm. start to have areas where it's like ooh, they, these are the flashes that we've been wanting to see as texas fans but then it seems to digress as the games play out and as the seasons play out because you're giving more information to your opponents, your opponents absorbing more, and the ability to play that chess game, to understand your strengths and weaknesses, those have been the vulnerabilities that we've seen so far under Sark. Yeah. Right and, and by the way, you can get better at that. I'm not saying yeah, for that sure. Sark is doomed sure. or anything. I want people to hear, like, oh man, he can't do that. No, he, he's evolving We're, as a coach. We're watching him evolve real time, and I do think he's going to get better at that, but he's got, he, he did a great job of the man in the mirror moment last season, but this season, I'm with you. Uh, Jeff Howell, he talks about it. We don't really have a weakness on the roster. All right. Well, then, if you don't meet expectations, it's you. Yeah, you're talking well, I mean, about it. You've done a great job. I'm just saying, but like, you, but you have to, you have to admit yeah. that as a coach. Yeah. You know, all right, well, then how do I improve as a coach? What do I need to do? And like I said, I, I think the biggest part of his game is is trying to match wits with really good coaches. I gave the the stat, uh, you know, last year about him versus coaches who win at least 60% of his games. That's the stat I keep up with with Sark yearly. And when he faces coaches that win at least 60% of the games, which is – the th- threshold to make it into the Hall of Fame, right? Mm-hmm. Got to win at least 60%. That means you're a good coach. Sark's not there yet. He's around 55, right? So he's close. Yeah. He's right there. He's close, all right? But he's got to beat those coaches who have already established themselves as those great, you know, they are, you know, uh, they are great chess players, mm-hmm. right? They, they've they already figured out, no, I, I don't have to win the game in the first. Lincoln Riley did, showed everybody uh, the first year, the first, yeah, he showed he, up. first year uh, uh, that he played Sark. Like, okay, yeah, I got to win the game. I can win in the fourth quarter. Matter of fact, you can win all three. Of the first, you win the first three quarters, and I'll just win the fourth, and I win the game. 
Yeah. Right? Like, you got to understand that strategy. And for Sark, when he faces, I think he's winning close to 40%, around a little over 40% of his games versus coaches who win at least 60% of their games who are in, who are in that win percentage. That, to me, is his struggle as a coach. And when he learns how to become kind of a you know a chess master, yeah. if you will, in those last three quarters, th- look out, yeah, and watch that, out, because right now he's just not there yet. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think this year's Alabama game is going to really tell me a lot about it, because I think last year's Alabama game was the first time whenever I had that feeling like, oh wait, Sark and this staff is really prepared, and they actually made Texas look like the better coach team against. Nick Saban. Now you had a more familiar opponent, somebody like it's the same way that the way that Mike Brown and the Kings did so well against the Warriors. There's a lot of institutional knowledge inside there. It goes both ways when you go back and forth. But seeing Sark come out with a team that was inferior across the board to most people's perceptions and in a situation where you're the lesser of a coach, yet in that game outperformed what you would say the skill level and expectations were. Now you didn't get the win. But it was one where you sort of left the field if you're a Texas fan. Like, all right, I like the way this is trending. Now we get another year of seeing that type of matchup between those two guys right out the gate. And if you get another performance similar to that but on the road with your team, it would be a really good sign. That that was something I was thinking about. Can Texas go to Tuscaloosa, lose that game, and come out feeling good about it? Or do they have to go down there and win it? For people to feel like, yeah, this thing's gonna, this thing's headed in the right direction. I mean, it depends on how if yeah. it plays out like a all-time great type game. It's like sometimes when games are like that, you can leave feeling like the way Texas Ohio State was. You were like, man, anybody could have won that game or Texas USC, but like that's a high bar. But like I wouldn't have thought last year that I would have left a loss feeling good about the team's future. But luckily in college with the non-conference game, you can have it that way. But I understand that not all people view football games that way. Yeah, I, I, it's it's Nick Saban, and, I, it, and it's play, playing at Alabama. I Good. mean, they might be on the tail end of the dynasty, but it's still a dynasty. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think you got to go down there and win just for Longhorn fans to be satisfied with the you know the the path of the program yeah. and where they are. It's Nick I, Saban, man. Because I think when you start looking <laughs> at that, though, it's you start looking at the game exactly. Like wins, and maybe there's something I'm just obviously forgetting. When's the last time Nick Saban went into a game and did not have the clear advantage at quarterback? Uh, oh, back in the day, that was a commonplace. It's right? been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, though, it's been right? a minute. Yeah. I mean, that's just because he's kind of switched up the hustle. The post Jake Coker era, probably yeah. all the Alabama teams before Coker, they like were at a disadvantage. Pre, the is that pre Lane Kiffin era, basically yep. as the yeah. coordinator? Like you got to yeah. go back to Kiffin like pre- and Sark. Yeah, basically Kiffin and that group. Dable. Once he started after like the Kiffin era, I think he stubbornly, I believe, and begrudgingly, yeah, I think he decided to accept the go dark from, side of Jalen Hurts to two of them. Yeah. Yeah, Jones, the pace, the like the pace and space, up tempo. Remember, he he literally was at one point so opposed yes. to up tempo offenses that he was basically saying propaganda that it was going to hurt players because it was going to increase the injury. Yeah, those risk gimmicky of players out there, and it's like wow. And now look at him; he's you know yeah. he is of course now the it. goat because he evolves, he reinvents himself. True. Yeah. Um, no, I was just thinking about that Bama game. Like I said, you know, Alabama's not going to have the the advantage at quarterback because dude, they, the fact that they took Tyler Buckner in the transfer portal that should tell you what they thought about their quarterback situation coming out of spring. Yeah. So it's just I don't know. It's interesting. Rod, maybe well, Bill, o- Bill O'Brien was the OC for a while, so yeah. 
He's getting a bad reputation among people too. Yeah, I mean, like, just I, I wouldn't go play for Bill O'Brien. Yeah, no. <laughs> if I was a young quarterback, and now he's got the or the uh, Notre Dame, Tommy Reese. Yeah. So I, I maybe he's got a better reputation. I don't. Notre Dame wasn't recruiting great quarterbacks either. Though. Tommy, Reese. I get wondering why they was recruiting all these wide receivers from Central Texas, and I was like, what quarterback y'all gonna play with? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's got, been really QB bad. Y'all going to play with up there? They got C.J. Carr coming in, and was he class of twenty twenty four? I think. Lloyd Carr's grandson. And Is he who? good? He's a five-star guy. Okay, there you go. All right. But I'm just, I mean, I, didn't have, I don't know. Notre Dame hasn't been really known for having good I mean, even with Tommy either. Reese, they didn't have anything. I know. Like, I mean, he, was, he was the most angry I've ever seen an OC <laughs> at his quarterbacks. Uh, so, uh, it's, you're right about Bama, though. Lately, they've been known for the quarterback. We know they can still win without elite quarterback play, um, but – they have had the luxury of being a quarterback factory lately. Yeah, and that's my thing. If you, this is one of those Nick Saban teams. If you jump on them, like they don't have the Bryce Young, or you know, they don't have the, the insane skill talent they had in nineteen and twenty yeah. to to be able to pull you out. This might be a Bama team that, man, if you can get up on them, ten nothing, fourteen nothing, seventeen three, they they might not be built. Early, that early in the season to be able to come they back. They were like that no. last year, really. Their skill they talent yeah. was unimpressive last oh, year. Oh, for sure. Texas had better skill talent than Bama did last year. Tell I mean, we saw look, we saw the spring game and if you we saw what Bama had last year, um I, I don't I don't think you can give the skill talent edge to Alabama. No. I don't uh, think so either. Not, not from no. what you see on paper coming back. I didn't watch your uh, spring game, but yeah. yeah, I mean, and then you have the question mark at quarterback just because it's a battle, and it's smart of them to take a transfer only because if you have two and you aren't sure of any, you're one snap away from being stuck in an area where no. you could become Texas when you have no quarterbacks. No, you know? if you're looking at listen, Texas, Texas is going to return more more coordinators mm-hmm. and play callers than Bama. The quarterback, they'll return a starting quarterback. Uh, skill position Texas advantages skill will probably go to Texas. And honestly, if there is a line of scrimmage advantage for Bama, it won't be a huge gap like it was last season. I almost feel like the Bama offensive line gap. against the Texas defensive line, I almost feel like that's as close to a push well, I say like, as anything like, else. I, I, and it's I, like strength on strength, you know, with the Texas offensive line with Kelvin Banks and, and that group against the, the Bama edge guys. That's what I'm saying. I don't want to get too. I don't want to start drinking too much Kool Aid and being too much of a homer. But you could make the argument that Texas will have more advantages if you were just checking the boxes, position by position, coordinators, QB, and everything, than Bama in that game. But Nick Saban is Nick Saban. He is. He's the goat for a reason, and that takes us back to Sark trying to become a a a grandmaster chess chess champion, Mm -hmm. and he's got to do it against. The grandmaster yeah. of chess champions, which is Nick Saban. Show me. So yeah. go out there and show me. And, you, and I'm assuming you have to win it in the fourth quarter. And if he doesn't and blows them out in the first quarter and they don't have the you know, the weapons to get themselves back in the game, I'll understand that too. But I'll still have the question of, I need you to go win it in the fourth quarter. you got to go show me that you can be a grandmaster. Okay, you so guys right are- now Texas is a seven-and-a-half-point underdog. Line's only seven. That's good move. Last year – Alabama was a 21-and-a-half-point favorite yeah. here in Austin. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, yeah, but now you're on the road where you give three and take three. So, like, this is saying if they were playing in Austin, it'd probably be a one-point line. You, you guys have convinced me. I think Texas I think Texas can lose this game and still come out feeling good about things. Okay. I just, yeah. I just I want to get ahead of that so that way we get closer and talking about mm-hmm. it. We've already 
establish a yeah, precedent. By the time we get there, we'll all be picking Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably. I, yeah. I, mean, I yeah. bet this yeah. line, this betting line. We get there, we're like, I think Texas will pull out the It's going to become tighter. <laughs> and if it becomes tighter, because this is a big number, when you get the number that's on set, there isn't a bigger number really in football than six and a half to seven, seven and seven and to seven and a half, because like that's the tipping point that the books don't want to go, because inside a mm-hmm. touchdown is a big deal than more than a touchdown. So Texas gets inside of a touchdown, that's a really good sign for the future. You realize, though, in these, you know, when Texas has had these blue blood non-conference matchups recently, they do tend to fare better in the second game. Notre Dame, mm. USC, we didn't get to see LSU, but I, th- I, I think we felt like LSU was probably better prepared to win the game in Austin in 19, but we felt like Texas would have been better prepared to go to Baton Rouge and win that game, knowing what LSU was going to lose. Mm, and then in hindsight, like before the pay, before the shutdown, yeah, right. seeing what LSU lost, right? Yeah, Texas probably yeah. better equipped to go to Baton Rouge and win that's that. A good game. Point, and though, they've also they, the aligned and how quickly it happened. They've yeah. aligned coincidentally very well with the new coach going into a mm. multi-year because it was like uh, a little bit better under Charlie yeah. going in, and then a little bit better. And both of those were point. ones Texas had at home. That's a good. This point. is the first one where Texas has that game on the road. Uh, yeah, LSU would have been that situation too, but we will never know. Oh, that was going to be so much. Well, Rod- other games that are real quick while I have the odds up: Texas eight point favorite over Baylor, and Texas a five and a half point favorite over Oklahoma, and Texas a nine and a half point favorite over K State, over TCU six, and that's it. Uh, so you're telling me twelve and zero. Oh, well, that's how Vegas on paper, All baby, right. but that's what we're talking about. All Vegas right. on the paper. FBI, the FBI is like, I think got him as 11 wins. FBI loves they got Texas. Bama is the only loss. Again, I think they had that actually. Um, yeah, well, Rod, I want to get back to something you said a minute ago when, when Sark's throwing out the, how good he feels about the roster and where things are at. Sark, to this point in his tenure, has done a really good job, and I think I don't, I don't think he gets enough credit for this, of not making any grandiose statements to where he backs himself into a corner. Coming on the heels of Tom Herman, who constantly said things that backed himself into a corner. And this is the one, though, where I think, okay, when you start saying stuff like that, I just think back to 2020, and even when he was giving interviews during the shutdown, Tom Herman said, we've been building this year. Everything we've been working on is building this year. It's been building to 2020. We think this is it. And it's like, okay, if you're going to say that, great. Mm-hmm. But if you're a three or four loss team, you got to know how people are going to react to that when you've hyped this up and built this up to be this is when it all comes together because it all coming together at Texas, the fan base and us covering, we interpret that as oh, if it's coming together, then you're telling me you should be able, you should be in the discussion to win a national championship. Yeah, it is weird. I, I just think it's a man, it's a mental, it's a personality thing more than a mental. It's a personality thing yeah. with coaches. They really are. Like mm-hmm. uh, I hear Joey McGuire down there in Texas saying the same thing. He's hyping everything up. Like he, oh, he like, loves talking. He's like, in. man, we go, we you know, runs, everything runs through loving in the Big Twelve. Oh, yeah, got they hyping Texas. up the Texas Tech fans, yeah. and I've heard them the fans say it is very different than some of the coaches they've had there before. Like you know, obviously, famously Leach, he would like dog his team to the media, the press before. <laughs> the, he's like, ah, I, I love that. Like, Oh crap! Right now, we'll see how we look in a couple. It's all Lou Holtz, RC Slocum thing. Yeah, it's like an old school thing. Like oh, a lot You're of like, old man, school. I don't coaches. think they're going to win a game. Yeah, Nick Listen Saban's to- famously like that. Like everybody hypes up Nick Saban's squad. And he's like, I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, we got to get yeah. back to the he basics. Insult even their girls. Yeah, so I just think it's a uh, it's it's a coach. It's a personality thing. I just think some coaches they like to hype it up, yeah. and some coaches they like to temper expectations. Um, yeah, right. But but you're interesting, Sark. 
you know, coming in, he's seen more of a temper expectations guy, and now he's hype. So maybe he just feels like, as he's talked about, Confidence. this is my team, looks like my team. I, I feel like this team is going to be really good. We all feel like this team is going to be really good, too, because we're starting to hear Sark talking about how good the team is going to be. And you're one of the few teams, I think there are less than 30 teams in all of college football that return head coach, OC, mm-hmm. D.C., and quarterback, you're kind of four main components, and Texas is one of those it's teams. Where, it's where there's, a, there's still a, you know, I know everybody credits Nick Saban with turning Sark's career around, and Sark even said Nick Saban saved his career. There's still a little Pete Carroll in there, and Sark, a little, hey, stick, stick puff your chest out a little mm. bit. Oh, it's a lot, right. there's, oh, it's a lot of it. Yeah. There's a there's lot more a lot West Coast yeah. than old school yeah, in Sark. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah. it. I think there's, a, there's more Pete Carroll in Sark than there and, is than Nick probably Than we talk about. Yes, being. totally yeah. agree with that. Um, And it's it, that's not hard to believe because Sark, in his formative years as a coach, spent a lot of his time around mm-hmm. and then Pete the, Carroll and with Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. The reformation under the discipline of Staben. So by the way, Rod, yeah. my goal this summer on one of these speaking tours or a coaching school I'm going to ask Sark the, the Al Davis question that we, we pondered oh, on the podcast he's a deaf, few weeks yeah. ago. Like, what did he take from that interview? Not just the head coaching interview with Al Davis, but the year he spent with Norm Turner. What did he take from Al Davis? And then follow up the and obsession ask. With, the obsession know, with speed. Yeah, we know him and Al Davis had that in common. And then ask uh, about Lane Kiffin stories for uh, about Al Davis. Oh, I bet Sark's got some great Sark names. knows yeah. some really good ones about that. Well, he was there with, uh, Sark was with the Raiders when North, he was there with North Turner, so I don't. What would you say? Like he's no, been he's in so like many best circles with like Lane. With, yeah, because of Bama days. Like he's, I mean, he's heard stories oh, about yeah. Lane Kiffin from the coaches. I don't coaches. think Sark would give you any of those. Though. No, I know. Uh, I, I, I said it tongue in cheek. Yeah. Well, uh, I just got to make sure I'm on my p's and q's with Sark because Sark usually doesn't call you out when you ask a dumb question, but he'll his answer will let you know that you he feels you've asked a dumb question. Um, if that makes any sense, he's been he's he's trying to be he's cool with the media. Like he, you can tell he's putting forth an effort to be like amicable and upbeat with the media. He is. He's yeah. going out of his way to do it. And it's smart. He's and this one would be viewed out, more yeah. in a sense of humor, knowing his uh, real life relationships instead of just the football. I don't coach, think Sark. Sark would even need Lane Kiffin stories. He was with the Raiders for a year. He's probably got plenty of S show stories because the Raiders were pretty wheels off at that point in their franchise history. Yep. And not a lot has changed since then, as it turns out. I'm sorry, <laughs> Raiders fans out there. Um, there was one thing I do want to hit, Rod, before we wrap this up talking draft. Uh, I feel like I've said this nine times. Going back to something you said earlier, we talk about Sark growing in terms of making the in-game adjustments. I do wonder, and I always use your example. I go back to your interview with Brian Harson, uh, and even when he met with us after the old Miss game in 2012, mm-hmm. where it's like he had the bloodshot eyes, and I'm like, dude, I think this dude could still call plays like till 2, 3 in the morning. Like he just did no, not he, want to leave that press yeah. box. No, he was he's like He's like the dude that's on the heater at the crap table. He, he does he not like want to leave. He's on a play-calling bender. Yeah, <laughs> he does not want to. He's he not, he's he's not want to leave up. that slot machine. He's just staying there all night. Yeah. Um, but but I still see it yeah. in my face. Oh, I yeah, I can still it. see Brian Hart yeah. sitting at that table at Oxford just like oh, – it's like giving the thousand yard stairs. Yeah, you like, yeah, I've had a great night tonight. It was awesome. And like, like yeah. dude, this dude looks yeah. like he's <laughs> give me some of that. Yeah. No, I agree. It was intense. It was intense. Brian Hartson looks like he's gonna gut someone with a <laughs> Bowie knife yeah. and eat their innards or something. But uh, at any rate, um, sorry, I, I feel like part of the part of the pro, and I don't want to say part of the problem, but maybe part of the growth for Sark needs to be: can you still call plays effectively? Being more aware of your surroundings, in other words, I think, and then all play callers get this, but it's got to be different for Sark because he's the head coach. Mm-hmm. The inability sometimes to maybe see the forest through the trees. Yeah, 
does he need somebody on that staff to be the guy that can kind of shake him, shake the cop, shake him loose at times to understand to see the big picture a little bit better, or does he need to does he need to develop that relationship with somebody on the staff, or does someone on the staff feel like they need to step up and take on that role of like, hey, don't we need to fo- we need to refocus here, right? It, it could be slipping away. Like, don't get so tunnel vision that you lose the big picture. I don't know whether it's Jeff Banks or Kyle Flood or whoever. Yeah. Everybody except Blake Gideon and. Uh, AJ Milwee's on the field anyway. He only had two mm-hmm. coaches up in the press box, so I, I don't know. I don't know, Rod. I feel like he just needs that somebody that every now and then can just kind of be the guy that just throws the glass of cold water in his face, so to say. But like, hey, let's get back on track. I okay. don't. I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. It, that's also a personality thing, right? Because yeah. I think there are certain coaches who can handle being head coaches, but also being the play caller. Mm-hmm. They have a comfortable uh, relationship, a confident relationship as well with their defensive coordinator. Essentially, ends up being their de facto defensive head coach. Yeah. So they they know they pay less attention to the team overall when you know the defense is when basically when the offense is off the field they're probably with the offense and not paying attention to what the defense is doing and not paying attention overall to everything that's happening but you know like I said Lincoln Riley is probably one of the best examples of it in the NFL there's some guy Mike McCarthy's going to start doing it now mm-hmm. right he wasn't doing it now he's going to do it because he thinks hey man the offense is going to be better with when I can execute my own vision um, because I don't think Kellen Moore is executing, even though they still had well, a top five scoring offense. Yeah. So I think that's a personality thing. Sometimes with Sark, I do wonder because getting back to your point, because we've seen emotion, get a little bit the best of Sark, right? Mm-hmm. I, obviously, out in front in public, it's happened to all of us. Uh, when and he's a public figure, when I'm sure that he didn't want that out there in the Alamo Bowl. But I wonder, yeah, that was, that was more yeah. Coach Steven, though. That wasn't Sark. Yeah. That was Coach Steven. Coach Steven still pops up every now and then. Um, it's like the fight club. You know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. basically Coach Steve, like Tyler is this like one of, Is this like one of those Terry Balea, Hulk Hogan things? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, exactly. Right. Said, damn right about that. Yeah, Coach Steven, not good. Sark, awesome. Um, so I do think, yeah, maybe you need somebody when Coach Steven starts coming out to kind of you know, shake and be like, no, 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 Sark, Sark. Yeah. Hey, so go, Steven, get the hell out of here, man. Get out of here. You know what I mean? And exercise the demon and get Steven out. Make it sound out. like they got Keep the Sark nutty here. professor and, coaching that's Texas. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go. No, no, I truly believe Sark's got some of that. But that, we all got that. Yeah, we all got yeah. some of that, right? We all battle with, you know, our own demons. And, you know, I think, you know, I'm not t- talking about Sark's just personal demons. We all got personal <laughs> demons. But even in your profession, there are things that are holding you back. All right, and you got to figure out a way to exercise those demons. And I do. I, I call him Coach Steven, obviously jokingly, but I do think that when I refer to Coach Steven, those are the times I'm criticizing the the the, the coaching character of Sark. Yeah. yeah, and it takes a coach. It somebody. It would have to be an organic, you know, development of their friendship personalities that all intertwine professionally. Because only very few people maybe can really get into the rooted person when doing that. But it seems to be like a guy like Coach Banks and him are really. Close, and he could be somebody that you because, like, it's hard if you've just met a person for them to you be listening or for you to listen to them as if they have the greater good of the team and yourself because they don't know you as well. But if you have formed relationships with those people, they probably can identify those things coming out of a person, say, before somebody else that they don't familiarly know. So somebody on a staff being able to do it. And then, like, the, there's the football version, which we sort of talk about, like, what maybe GP's role was 
not mm-hmm. necessarily on the personality of Sark, but on just the X's and O's and what you're doing and not doing on the field. So there's a connectivity between the two things and having somebody on the staff that you trust and you're close to that could only help that. Well, like you said, Rod, it's a personality thing. Like for me at work and home, it's two different things, right? Like with work, I've got a supervisor at 24-7 who's – no, doesn't like berate you or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It'll just be the check in, like, because I need feedback, positive or negative. And the positive feedback is really a great job. The negative feedback is like, hey, everything all right? We we doing okay this week? You, you yeah. good? You good? You um, still happy, employee? Yeah. Uh, and, do we need and, to have a and, discussion? And I'm great with that. At home, though, I, my wife's the person that I need to, to kick, kick me in the ass every now and then. And I can handle her being like, hey, Get it together. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And you listen to I'm not raising two kids, just yeah. one. Let's go. Yeah. And that's sort of my <laughs> no, point. Like, oh, yeah. there are certain yeah. people that you listen to and it gets to you and exactly. it's more rooted. Yes. You know? so, she, totally knows, she knows when I start drifting. She's like, hey, get your ass together and wake up a little bit. And I think it's Jeff Banks. I think it's yeah. probably Coach yeah. Banks. Yeah. That's his guy. Somebody needs that to, seems you know, to, yeah. we, all, we all need that. Those we all people need that in guy. our lives. Yep. Um, let's talk about the draft. Guys, everything pretty much played out. We talked about the scenarios. Rod, you sold me on the Atlanta deal. And yeah, man, that was great. I, I love that. I love the spot for Bijan. If we're just talking football theory, I don't necessarily think it's a great pick for Atlanta value-wise because mm-hmm. I do think Bijan's going to end up being the best running back in the league, and then you want to pay him. Like, best running back in the league, and those second contracts don't always work out for teams. If you if you were a team that was on the cusp of being a Super Bowl champion and you were a contender and Bijan puts you over the top, the second contract don't even matter because when you win the Super Bowl, everybody gets paid. Who gives yeah. a damn? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But for a team like Atlanta – I assume by the time that they're ready to compete for a, a championship, Bijan's going to already be considered the top you know, fantasy player in all of the NFL and the best running back. And then they'll have to pay him big dollars. Then we'll have that Ezekiel Elliott, Dallas Cowboys conversation all again. But if we're just talking about scheme, fit, and compatibility, there is nobody that fits better than Bijan. I did some research here, so I'm going to pull out my Got your oh, yeah. Smith numbers. Okay, so Atlanta. Just so people know about Atlanta. It's absurd. Dude. It is absurd. It's right, last the year only was a, team yeah. in the NFL that ran the ball over fifty percent of their plays. So they ran it. They ran it over fifty percent of the time. Even for more than the Forty the, the ers and the Bears, they run the ball. They run the rock a ton. Um, they also, if you go look at their uh, just the way they like, you know, even play as a team, like their focus of Arthur Smith. When they were behind, this is crazy. Yeah. When they, they were ran behind, more. Yes. When they were behind, <laughs> they ran the ball 48.8% of the time when they were playing from behind. Guys, that's five percentage points more than any other team. Arthur Smith wants to run the rock. He does not give a damn if they are behind or if they are ahead. They want to run the football. And Bijan's now going to be, he's going to be his workhorse back. He's going to get at least. 20-some touches a game, and he's a believer in positionless football. God bless him. Corderell Patterson's in that backfield yep. with him. Loves freaky Kyle Pitts on the outside. Mm-hmm. He's a big believer in positionless football, so, yes, he will weaponize Bijan in the passing game. It's a beautiful, beautiful spot for Bijan to land. Um, yep, and he even threw, like last year, a guy like Algier who came from BYU who didn't catch the ball much, and then for Atlanta, he caught the ball all the time to yep. end the season. Oh, so man. you look at that, and then – the one thing you brought up with the multiple contracts, uh, the way that Bijan's the third one, if you look at their top picks, not only did they draft inside the top five and ten guys like Pitts and then Drake London, but then mm-hmm. Bijan. So they're all going to be up for their max contracts a oh, year before, a year before 
and then Bijan. And but they did have Ritter come in to end last year and sort of start that next group. So they have a great young core of skill guys to go. They do. And then Arthur Smith's a guy, he's already loved his Longhorn backs. He's a guy that really kept Deonta Foreman's career going before he surged. Good point. And then with Bijan riding him big time. Is, uh, with Arthur Smith, as part of that philosophy ride, you think, coming up, because uh, he got started with the Titans mm-hmm. during the Mike Munchak regime, coming up with an you know when you have your head coach as an offensive lineman, who wants to run the ball. We know Mike Vrabel doesn't mind playing old school football. That's just kind of, I don't know, kind of that old school, that old school mindset. I don't want to say it's not meant to meathead, but it's it's kind of that old school mindset with kind of just a new school way of doing it, almost. It, no, his in terms of his formation uh, variety, it's amazing. Like he'll see, he's probably as creative. Oh, I'm looking at it right now, yeah. and personnel wise as any team in the league. There's not so like, yeah, I'm looking at it right really now, good. and th- well, this just shows first down personnel. Where does it show me overall? Um, yeah, no, no it doesn't have it overall. No, he he is no. Trust me, I I I was watching a ton of it last year. Um, actually, because I was just interested to see what he was going to do and it would freaky Kyle Pitts and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of stopped watching it toward the midway point. There was a game they lost. Well, that's what I was looking for. Right they there. lost the game against Cincinnati last year, uh, 35-17, I believe it was. Uh, dude, they passed the ball just 13 times. Yeah. And they, won- <laughs> they did that again on it's one like- of – it was a uh, Thursday night football game against Carolina. It was absurd. But they got they got two really good interior offensive linemen, Chris Lindstrom and Matt Hennessy, really good run blockers, like top five good run blockers. So they'll run a ton of interior stuff, and they're basically top three or five in the NFL in play action pass rate. That's when they do want to throw it downfield. And man, you look at it; it's a it's a per, I don't, I'm gonna say I don't other than the Eagles. I don't know if there's a more perfect location for Bijan to shine. The Eagles would probably be ideal. I mean, but thank yeah. I don't want Cowboys fans to have, you know, an ulcer. So I'm glad he didn't go to the Eagles. So I'm just looking at this is this only gives me twenty twenty one with the Falcons personnel groupings with Arthur Smith as first year's head coach. Thirty one percent eleven personnel, twenty seven percent twelve personnel, twenty percent twenty one personnel, twenty two percent twelve percent, eight percent thirteen personnel. Yeah, they're kind of it's all over the place. All over the place. It's yeah, it's a be- it's, it's a beautiful spot for Bijan. I'm telling you, man, he's gonna shine there. Uh, good stuff. Um, yeah. So, and by the way, did you guys see he's wearing number seven in Atlanta? Yeah, I did not see that. that. Yeah. Okay, nice. We're wearing good seven. Um, got Michael Vick's old number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, no, uh, no more Ron Mexico jerseys. No, and my man Corey Mose from KVU made a really good point. I'm gonna see if I can find this right here. Uh, by the way, Corey, most stylish member of the Austin Media Corps. By the way, and it's not even close. Um. He mentioned, he said, the number seven appears in the Bible over 700 times. It represents a multitude of things like completion, perfection, and the fulfillment of promises. With Bijan being so open about his faith, I wonder if that was one of the reasons why he chose to wear seven. Because Drake London's wearing five. He can't get five. So, I don't know, food for thought. He uh, wore number eight as a little kid for the Falcons. Rod, we talked about DeMarvin Overshone's fit with the Cowboys. I like it just because you like it because of Dan Quinn – in his mm. style, positionless his football. positionless uh, his take on positionless football, his theory there. Um, I like it not just for that because Leighton Vander Esch isn't going to play forever, and Jabril Cox, Demarvin Overshone getting drafted might spell the end of Jabril Cox with the Cowboys. I think so. Um, I hope not because I love me some Jabril Cox. He's probably the best coverage linebacker coming out that year. But they love Demont Clark. 
Yeah. Because physically he is a freak and he's better against the run. Mm-hmm. And that was obviously their Achilles heel last season. So you saw less of Jabril Cox playing and more of Damone Clark. They liked him with LVE. I assume that's where they'll go this year. But even behind them, they're not too sure. They got the kid. Is it Devin Harper from Oklahoma mm-hmm. State? Yeah. They got him. They got Jabril Cox. So I think Darvin, I'm with you. I think they like, I think they have a plan for DeMarvin yeah. Overshone. I think they're going to go with some sub package versatility. Mm-hmm. And I think you could see DeMarvin Overshone potentially even this year just in some strange, Sub package. Remember, they, the, the Cowboys use more three safety packages, big nickel, big dime, than any team in the league. Probably 40% overall combined, about 20% each, big dime and big nickel. Um, and I could see them, because remember, using a guy like Michael Parsons, sometimes they move him around off ball, sometimes they put him on the edge. They want to play him more on the edge. I wouldn't doubt if there are some packages where you see a DeMarvin Overshone in predictable passing situations and he's out there as kind of their coverage yeah. uh, sub package linebacker. Um, yeah, but th- listen, Dan yeah. Quinn is the he is the marquee mind in positionless football on defense in the NFL right now. Nobody else is as far out front as he is. He's basically the 49ers uh, are the best offensive positionless football t- uh, team in the NFL, and the Cowboys are the best defensive positionless football team in the NFL, and he keeps investing. In those mm-hmm. guys, right? Now, DeMarvin Overshawn is the latest investment, but over and over again, he keeps showing you, hey, man, I am looking toward what I think is kind of the future of football and football theory, which is I need versatility and hybridism. And uh, I love I love my guy Malik Jefferson, but this could also spell the end of Malik's time with the Cowboys, oh, too. I, I was surprised he was still there. I didn't even know that. Yeah, Good for him. Malik is still there. Um, so love the fit Overshawn with the Cowboys. Uh, you know, I don't – from a, a – just a guy that I think their fan base will love, man. Find me a better a, a better fan base like the Chicago Bears. When you think about the Bears, Rod, you spend a little the time Bears. in Chicago. Mm-hmm. You think about just toughness and Dick Butkus oh, and that eighty, man. you know, the eighty five Bears defense, forty six defense under Buddy Ryan and Steve mm-hmm. McMichael and Mike Singletary, <laughs> Brian Urlacher, just tough guys. It, there, you won't find a more of a tougher guy than Roshan Johnson, man. Yeah, just no. a dude that will lay it all on the line for you. I think Bears fans are gonna love Roshan Johnson. They do, and they already are. At least the scouts, they love him. Um, and he was apparently one of the scouts' favorite players mm-hmm. uh, in the draft. And they have Deontay Foreman there. And so they got another Longhorn already in the backfield there, and I believe it's uh, Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert, yeah. Is the other back Former there. Former one-time Kansas Jayhawk, uh, transferred to Boston College and was drafted from there. The reason I started watching a lot of the Bears is because I saw an interesting uh, little uh, report, little nugget about the Bears last season, and it has to do with the Justin Fields transformation. This is why I think that Rojo is going to thrive mm-hmm. in this offense. Last season, when they, I think when they started playing the Patriots, I believe was the team that they were doing film research on. They were started watching the Patriots versus the Ravens that season, and the one of the scouts there, one of their coaches, decided, "Hey, man, we should just steal the Ravens' offense." Yeah. Uh, that's that's really that's the yeah. transformation. Of Justin Fields, you can go back and almost track his it. numbers. Uh, they basically took just they t- Justin Justin Fields admitted this too. He said, "Man, we were watching the Ravens' offense, and we decided, man, Justin Fields can do that." Justin Fields can do that. Justin Fields can do that. And they just took a ton of the concepts from the Ravens. And that, and I assume they're going to take even more concepts from the Ravens, potentially. Yeah. Not saying they're just going to copycat the whole damn thing, but even Justin Fields admitted that was a big part of his transformation. And in that offense, they love running backs. What do the Ravens love? They love running backs. Stockpiling running backs. They use a ton of running backs. Rojo, man, he can be the bruiser for the Bears. They don't have a running back like Rojo. The more reps he gets... 
the more they gonna like them. Um, yeah, and if you look back at just the history of the NFL and like when some of the best seasons have happened, say for quarterbacks or for running backs, like that two K season for Chris Johnson is because he was in the backfield with Vince Young for the Good first point. time ever. You look at a guy like Justin Fields last year. They took off. I mean, this in the game you're talking about was like five weeks into the season, and then he didn't even get to play the last game of the yeah. season. He would have shattered the uh, running or quarterback, quarterback record yeah. for, for yards. He did that basically in ten games, and he ran for more yards than any quarterbacks ever ran for. Oh, and yeah. that's with a lot of. I mean, they had already traded away guys. They got rid of their defense. Mm-hmm. Like they had tanked this season. So this year you're going to see an actual attempt to scary. play good football. Yeah, they found a secret sauce, man. Um, and Rod, their offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, who was the passing game coordinator with the Packers. And we talk about coaches that love them some running backs. Oh, you're right. That Matt LaFleur offense. Matt LaFleur loves Stock him some running backs. Them. Yeah. yeah. yeah Ross so. got two tailback sets, too. Yeah. Okay. So uh, love the fit mm-hmm. there. Let's talk about Coburn and Ojimo. Uh I think I, – I didn't expect Morrow to fall to the seventh round. I did not either. Um, Coburn, when you when you look at the Chiefs' depth chart, Rod, I keep going back to, hey, everybody needs one of those big run stuff and defensive tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, man, Coburn's got a chance to make this roster. Oh, yeah. Like I said, Coburn ended up making it. I mean, the NFL, it's, it's strange. The NFL now, I, I, and I, it's crazy because I, I did. I predicted this would happen too. Um, and I think I predicted it on this show, and I said something on this show and on my show. You go look at now the NFL yards per carry. It's the highest average has ever been in NFL history. NFL on average is now at 4.5 yards per carry. And I believe the yards per rush, I mean, sorry, not the uh, yeah, rushing yards per game for each team on average, 121.6. That's the highest since 1987. And I think I told you guys this is my theory. Strike year. Uh, yeah, good point. Um, that the, basically the NFL is going to go through the same transformation and evolution that Big 12 did. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, ha- it's happening right now. And we will have to the Big 12, right? The, the, the air raid comes in and terraforms the Big 12 into being a passing league. Pace and space, tempo offenses and defenses freak out they're shell shocked what do they do back the safeties up right lots of two deep safeties two shell looks hell Iowa State even goes to three high shell looks more deep safety to prevent the the explosive passing play over the top and what did what the the Big 12 turn into over time evolve into the ecosystem it changed right it basically became a running league cross-dressing as a passing league PK you know, he 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 mistakenly uh, basically misdiagnosed really what the Big 12 was yep. all about when he first came. And I think Gary Patterson had to say, oh, man, no, this is a running league. I know it seems like a passing league. They're just spreading you out because they want to run the football. Remember when the NFL became the Big 12? Everybody's like, oh, man, it looks like the Big 12. They're throwing the ball all over the place. Mm-hmm. Points being scored everywhere. What did the Big 12, what did the defenses do? Just like Big 12 defenses, mm-hmm. they back the safeties up. All right? Pat Mahomes used to lead the NFL in deep passing touchdowns. Yep. According to Next Gen Stats, last season only had one 20-plus yard passing touchdown. So what, what did they do? Team started running the football. We got the numbers advantage on need. Why the hell are we going to throw into uh, two deep high, two high self safeties when we can just run the football because we got the numbers advantage, work smarter, not harder. And now the NFL is more prolific in the running game than they've been in decades. So you're going to see the same transformation. It's, yeah. it's, ex- it's happening exactly the way it happened in the Big 12 because football is football. Um, I was looking at the, <laughs> I was looking at the, uh, at the Chiefs roster. And seeing that they uh, they signed Danny Shelton as a free agent to bring some beef on that defensive line, I'm telling you right now, and I'm trying to find 
Let me see if I can find the contract terms that he agreed to. Oh, yeah, because everybody, need, like everybody needs a plunger. The Cowboys mm-hmm. did it last year. They, they needed Jonathan Hankins. They were a top-five defense, but what was the Achilles heel? They couldn't stop the power running game. So, so they Danny, went and got Jonathan Danny Hankins. Shelton was actually with them last year. I didn't know he was on the practice squad. And uh, the Eagles did the same thing. They, didn't, yep. they, they couldn't stop the power running game. Great defense. Couldn't stop the power running game. Went and got Linville Joseph. Went and got Nadama King Su. So he stopped the power running game. And now they're drafting guys. They drafted Jordan Davis for the same uh, purpose, and he ended up getting hurt. Cowboys now, who they draft? Mozzie Smith, Smith, right? Mm-hmm. They draft the April. I was like, man, why are they drafting interior defense tackle? If you're paying attention, teams right now averaging 5.3 and 5.2 yards per rush on powers and counters in the NFL, averaging 4.4 and 4.3 yards per rush on inside and outside zone. They're actually killing teams on the power and the counter. Why? Because teams are built to stop the pass. They're sleek. They're streamlined. They're fast. They can run sideline to sideline to stop the outside zone, but they can't stop the power running right at them. So they're desperate to go get a plunger, just like your house. When the fit hits the shan, you better have a plunger. It ain't something that people like to highlight. They like to kind of keep them hidden. You didn't even know Danny Sheldon was on that roster. But when they needed some beef up front, where's my plunger? Where's my plunger? Because the counter for these teams these days is just to run right at them. Power football is coming back, baby. So Dan- that's Danny why Sheldon- Sounds like Malcolm Brown though. He front. was the he's the thirty dollar plunger. Yes, yeah, so exactly. You know, so he might not be long for that. If Coburn, you got Coburn, the oh, yeah. two ninety nine Moz- plunger. Mozzie Smith is that expensive plunger, man. Yeah. They went and got the most expensive plunger at Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> and to your point, <laughs> but that's that's the new age. That's crazy. It's how impactful, theory, baby. how impactful those plays are when counter running five point three yards. If you look at just yards per rush. What led the entire football league? It was 5.4 overall for Chicago, 5.1 for uh, Baltimore was second, Buffalo 5.1. Those are the only teams over five yards per carry, but those interior runs you're talking about are averaging even more than that, and it just shows how impactful they are. And don't forget, what team went to the Super Bowl this year with a souped-up version of the quarterback sneak called the Tush Push? Yep. And they did not outlaw it. They did not disallow it, even though they talked yeah. about it, which means copycat league, more teams with mobile quarterbacks are going, well, hell, they going to not they gonna the allow middle. it. I'm going to do the same damn thing. Yeah. If you're the Cowboys, you got to have a solution for that because you play them twice a year. Mm-hmm. It, I'm telling you, it, it's all connected, man. It's all yep. connected. That's why Keandre Coburn, even if they don't keep him, Somebody, Somebody will. Going for him. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Keandre. He's the. I mean, he's the the wooden handle. You know, two ninety nine plunger with the little whoopee mm-hmm. cushion looking cup. That gets the it gets that, the job done. Gets the job exactly. Yep. Exactly. And I'll put it in the garage when I'm done with it, so mm-hmm. nobody can see it. But it gets the job done. You're gonna need. And when he plays, he's gonna show him that. Yeah. Okay, for that specific purpose, I I can actually be a high achiever. But considering Danny Shelton at this point in his career, if Coburn if Coburn even looks like he's remotely yep. better than Danny Shelton, it's like oh, I'm gonna take this sixth round pick, Danny Shelton. Thank. It's been a pleasure. We wish you the best on your future endeavors. Amen, brother. We're going to keep Coburn around. Uh, let's Ojemo oh, real quick. The Eagles are just loading up on uh, defensive linemen. And, crazy, man. You know, Moro's, Moro's got a chance to make that roster. If if not, think about practice squads, guys. The rules have been expanded. Yeah. You could be on the practice squad much longer than you could when I played. So I love Ojemo. Listen, we know he's got high upside, 21-year-old guy. Daniel Jeremiah actually had him as one of his best value picks. I think he had him like 111 overall in his top 200. Yep, and he ended up being drafted 249th overall, I believe, was the number. That's a steal, man. Exactly. Um, So I think more Ojemo is going to end up making an NFL roster. If not, he's going to be a project on the practice squad for the Eagles. And don't worry, because the Eagles are drafting all those linemen because all those other ones, the Fletcher Cox of the world, the the Grams, they're about to be up. And the Mm -hmm. Eagles are not going to pay those guys. They're going to let all them Georgia Bulldogs take on them. Sweat. Oh, Josh that's what yeah, it's yeah. what they're drafting. They Dear have five Burnett. of them from the 2021 team. Like they understand continuity. 
Teams are doing it all over the place in the NBA, NFL, and getting these players are. that are familiar with one another. You're right about that. That's good. They're doing that with the wide receiver position, too, and with yeah. the quarterback. Too. As we wrap up, so Anthony Cook signs an undrafted free agent deal with the Chiefs. Jaleel Billingsley is going to go to camp with the Titans. Oh, nice. Good yes, minicamp invite with the Titans. Man. B.J. Foster is going to go to minicamp with the Chiefs, I believe. Yep. Uh, former Longhorn. And then uh, Tariq Milton's going to minicamp with the Giants. Good for him. He's going to get a chance. But, guys, we're right at the end. We have not mentioned Kyle Shanahan yet, so go ahead and mark that spot on your Longhorn Blitz bingo card. <laughs> My football dream of Deshaun Jameson to get a crack at safety, Rod is now in the hands of one of your best friends in life. Good. It could you happen. You can make this happen. You're right. It could happen, man. And make my football pants explode with happiness. They play a lot of zone. Yeah. They play a lot Matt of zone. Matt the numbers, yeah. Yeah, they yeah, play and, a ton of zone, And man. we talked about it the last couple of weeks, how Jamison's elite in mm-hmm. zone coverage, and it's a good fit for him. Man. That's a team that did not have a lot of draft picks either. Yeah, and he could definitely be their return. I know they got some deep, good returners, but, you know, he's a natural returner. He's, he's – you can make the argument he's the most play-for-play – He's the best kickoff returner in school history. You can, you can, you can, you really can. The numbers the show you that. Yep. I mean, Ramon Taylor is the only one that has, I think, in a season has a higher yep. yards per kick return than him. And, yeah, and he got to he's the a, house and he's in the top. Jamison's in the top five in terms of career yards per. And he got demoted. Yeah. <laughs> Put him on the block. That's team. how deep Texas was. Like that. Nah, Put him on the block surfaces. team, and he blocked a punt first first time he was out there. You're right. Yep. Yeah, he's got a knack for it. Oh, yes, yeah, that's a good point too. We can play all special teams. I bet. Assembly like with Rojo. Rojo's going to go in there right away and be a core special teams. Guy. No doubt. Guaranteed. Overshown, too. Yeah. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, which, by the way, the Cowboys have had, they've said goodbye to some linebackers who were core special teams guys for them. He, Overstone's going to go in there and play that role, by the way. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the uh, time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody, the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049 1019 AM 1260, streaming on that Horn app at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7. Shameless book. You, you can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows, or on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24 7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button, get every episode of the Blitz when it drops, and don't forget to leave us a five star review. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.